Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of A Tribe Called Crime. I'm Jasmine, your host, and this is episode three. And I say that with such excitement, and I know it's not a big deal, like it's only three episodes, but I'm just happy, like we're here. And I know, okay, I know that this could have been episode four, but I didn't put an episode out last Sunday, just because... There was just a lot going on. I don't want to get into that. And I'm sorry if you hear that beeping in the background. Like that's our, I do this from my home. Like I have my own room that I do this in, but there's been something going on with our smoke detector. And I mean, my husband can tell you all about it. I can't, but so it's going to do that random beeping. So I'm so sorry if you hear that and it gets irritating. Just please, please bear with me. Um, so yeah, so I didn't put an episode out last week. I was going to do like two cases in one like this for this Sunday today and it just I didn't like it like I realized that these two cases have to have their own episode so you're gonna get part one today we'll cover one case and tomorrow part two will cover a different case so let's get into today so for today this is Killer Friends part one the case of Skylar Niece to have my page a certain way to throw music on 
and I, you know, I was always editing my top friends because this person pissed me off and I didn't like her anymore. So I was going to remove her out of my top friends. And it was just a big thing. You did everything on social media. So that's the case for these girls. Everything they did was either on Twitter or on Facebook. However, as time went on, the three kind of started to separate. So Sheila and Rachel became Rachel's best friends and just left Skylar out of everything. They didn't hang out with her as much as they used to during school or if they were doing anything after school, they completely excluded Skylar. So Skylar, feeling, obviously feeling the tension and the vibe, she started, of course, taking to Facebook and Twitter to let out her frustration about the whole situation. And to give you an example, just because I want to let you know how she's feeling. So on May 31st, 2012, Skylar Blink tweeted, quote, you're a two-faced bitch and obviously fucking stupid if you thought I wouldn't find out, end quote. And then another read, quote, too bad my friends are having lives without me, end quote. So I did the same thing. If I, you know, was getting some type of vibe from a friend or I wasn't, we weren't doing well together, I would take to Facebook, I mean, MySpace, and be like, this, you know, this bitch, and I'll, like, typing on my post and stuff like that. So I totally, I completely get where Skylar is coming from. And to go into even further detail and give you another example of how bad the tension and how, like, was between them and how it started topping over, so there was a former classmate of the girls at University High. His name was Daniel Hovatter. I hope I said that right. So he told, um, I couldn't, mind you, in researching this case, I felt like details were kind of all over the place. So I'm not sure who Daniel did his interview with. But in an interview, he said, you know, they were asking him, can you give us a time where you noticed that things were going bad with the three girls? Or did they show any of that? We know they were writing on Facebook and Twitter, but did they show any of that in person? So Daniel says that one time, he and Rachel were at practice for Pride and Prejudice, and Rachel has her phone up to her ear and was talking. And she hands it over to Daniel, and she goes, listen to this. And you know, Dan, who is this? Turns out to be Sheila and Skylar. So they were both fighting, but Skylar didn't know that Sheila had put her on a three-way call, and much less didn't know that Rachel was supposed to be blamed. So that right, that... I'm sorry about the beeping. Like, I don't know if it's very loud on here or my recording, but in person, that freaking smoke detector is so loud. So I'm sorry because it's frustrating me. So I hope you all don't get frustrated. Um, so yeah, so it looks like sophomore year is when things started going really bad with the three girls. So we're going to fast forward to July 5th. Skylar had a shift at the Wendy's where she worked, and she returned home after her shift reported around midnight. The next morning, the 6th, Skylar's parents left to work, assuming that Skylar was still in bed. So when her father came home around midday, there was no one home, and he couldn't get into Skylar's room because the door was locked. Then Dave noticed that there was a small bench outside her window, and he knew that Skylar had snuck out. So apparently Skylar has done this in the past. However, she always returned home. That's what her parents are thinking. You know, this is, she's done this before. She's going to come back like she always does. But later that, that day, the, when, the manager at the Wendy's where Skylar worked called her asking about uh, Skylar's whereabouts because Skylar had a very good work, eth work ethic. She didn't miss work. She gave 100% while she was there. So when that manager called, Skylar's mother knew that there was something wrong, and that's when they hit the ground running looking for their daughter. So the nieces start calling around, asking for help, and, ask, and asking if anyone had seen Skylar. 
So one of the first phone calls we're going to make is to Sheila. Knowing that their, these girls have been close friends ever since the second grade, they're hoping that if anyone was with uh, Skylar last, it was Sheila. But Sheila tells them that, yes, she did speak to Skylar on the phone the day before, but they got off the phone around midnight, and that's the last she heard of Skylar. So with that, they end the call. But about a few minutes later, Sheila calls them back and admits to picking, um, picking Skylar up. Her and Rachel let Skylar know that they wanted to go joyriding around Morgantown. They picked Skylar up around 11 p.m., but had her back home within the hour. So after this, Sheila and her mother, Carol, went to their niece's apartment to help them look for Skylar. Together, they went from house to house asking neighbors if anyone had came across Skylar and if anyone had just remembered seeing her later, late that night, since, you know, she just said it was around 11 p.m. that they picked Skylar up. Then Mary, Skylar's mother, noticed that there was actually built camera, security cameras on the building near them. So they went to the landlord, let him know the situation, and him understanding led him to his room with all his surveillance equipment. In there, they were able to see a video of Skylar getting into the car around 12.30 a.m. And with that, they went to the police and officially declared Skylar as missing. Now, they knew that once they saw her getting into that car, that something unfortunately bad had happened to Skylar. They weren't able to get the make or model of car and let's just see who was driving, but now they're starting to worry because Skylar went, you know, went with a random, in their mind, a random vehicle with a random person, and now their daughter isn't home. So the Star City Police Department assigned Officer Jessica Colbank to the case. And not only was this officer assigned, but the FBI almost immediately get involved. The reason being is because they think that it's a possibility that Skylar could be linked to Aaliyah Lunsford. Now, Aaliyah Lunsford is another person who went missing just the year before, also in West Virginia. So now we have the FBI, Agent Morgan Spurlock, joining Officer Colin Banks to assist in helping find Skylar. So Agent Spurlock and Officer Colbank want to speak with Sheila and Rachel, and I don't think originally they had any immediate suspicion of them, but if their claims of picking up Skylar and going for their what they call a joyride are true, then that would make them the last two to see her before she disappeared. So on July 9th, 2012, they start with Sheila, but Sheila repeats everything that she told the nieces, that she picked up Skylar around 11pm, dropped her off less than a half an hour later, and told them she had dropped them off at the end of the street. Now, hearing this, Colin Bank asks, you know, how she basically says, I think it's strange that you dropped her off at the end of the street. Why didn't you just drop her off right in front of her apartment building? And Sheila told them that that was all Skylar, that Skylar wanted to be dropped off at the end of the street because she didn't want to get caught sneaking back in by her parents. Colbank would later describe Sheila's demeanor as calm, composed, but almost narcissistic and wrong. She said that Sheila seemed to be more concerned about the actual investigation rather than her missing friend. And upon leaving the station, Officer Colbeck suspected that the car that Sheila is driving is the car that matches the description or is the car itself that's in the surveillance video of Skylar. So the next day, July 10th, Colbeck calls Rachel Shroth, the second to last person to see Skylar. Now, Rachel acted as if she didn't even know that Skylar was missing and told Officer Colbeck that on the 7th of July, she had left the church camp, but on the 6th, the day in question, she was boning in Cheat Lake with her mother Patricia and, her, and Patricia's friend. So ultimately, it was agreed. When Rachel comes back from her, from her camp trip or whatever that was, that the, she would do a face-to-face -face interview. When Colbeck was finally able to get her face-to-face -face interview, Rachel gave her the same story as Sheila. 
And by that, I mean, like, the exact same story, like, verbatim, she told it. But there was a difference with Rachel. Colby says that her demeanor was nervous and unsure. Like, she didn't budge when telling her story. She told it word for word, but something was off about her. She was fidgety. She was hammy. She just doesn't, she didn't seem as cool and composed as Sheila. But nevertheless, the police had nothing to go on because Tyler was seen voluntarily getting into the car. And just like that, and exactly like the previous case we covered, Tyler was um, declared a runaway. Because of that, the state police would not issue an Amber Alert. Because, and I know there's a lot of gray area here, and it kind of sucks, but they will not issue an Amber Alert. Because an Amber Alert, I'm sorry, I'm like tumbling over my words here. An Amber Alert is technically only for children who have been abducted. So because Skylar was in video voluntarily, not against her will, getting into this car, they wouldn't issue an Amber, an Amber Alert. And I know that's hard to hear because, to me, I feel like a child who voluntarily gets into a car can still be in danger. That doesn't necessarily mean they know the person they're getting into a car with. We hear cases all the time of, you know, children voluntarily getting into cars and they're still being abducted, technically. They're being coerced or manipulated into believing that getting into this car is going to be safe, and ultimately it's not. So it sucks and it's sad, but yes, an Amber Alert for Skylar was not issued. So upon hearing this, Denise's David and Mary, now they're pissed, you know, they're very adamant that Skylar was not a runaway. And they had a few reasons on their side to back them up. So they said Skylar had left, um, she snuck out before, but she was always returned home. She left her phone charger and her contact lenses and all her toiletries, and they're saying that this, that's just not something that Skylar would do. And last but not least, the vents that she used to sneak out was still pressed against the window. So in Denise's defense, they're saying she left that bench there with the intentions of coming back home and using that bench to sneak back into her room. But unfortunately, none of this moved the police, and it looked like Skylar's case was just going to go nowhere. And as July came to an end and August began, school started, Rachel and Taylor would started their junior year, but Skylar would not. Feeling lost and frustrated with the Star City Police Department, Mary Reese decided to call the state police, who immediately took interest in Skylar's case. Now, the state police had been investigating a series of bank robberies in that same area. And one bank had been robbed just a month before Skylar's disappearance. And I know what you're thinking, like, what does a bank robbery have to do with Skylar disappearing? Well, it turns out that one of their prime suspects for these robberies, his little brother, was in some type of romantic relationship with Sheila. And I know we discussed that there is some tension going on both with the girls, but in the adult world, they know that these girls are close. So they're thinking that if that brother is with or is in any way connected romantically to Sheila, that that could be a reason for Skylar's disappearance. So while this is being investigated, you know, we still have our focus on other possibilities and that being of Rachel and Sheila. Social media starts offering up some clues. Now on the afternoon before Skylar disappeared, she tweeted, quote, sick of being stuck at fucking home. Thanks friends, love hanging out with you all too. End quote. And the day before, she posted, you're doing shit like that is why I can never completely trust you. So they're seeing this and thinking, okay, 
there's, you know, there's something wrong going on between these girls' relationships. And this is being posted the afternoon of Travis disappearing. They're starting to put two and two together and think perhaps Sheila and Rachel had something to do with Travis. And one of the state state, oh my goodness, I cannot say that. I'm so sorry. One of the state troopers assigned to the case, Chris Berry, he thought just that. He felt positive that over time, Rachel and Sheila would confess. So he decided to create a fake, a fake online persona as an attractive teenage boy who also attended West Virginia University. And he used that for Facebook and Twitter, linking up with the girls so this he could kind of monitor. Now he's seeing that these girls do and post a lot on social media. So he's going to kind of use this to monitor Rachel and Sheila. And while monitoring these social media accounts, it's actually other people in the community who are starting up rumors about Rachel and Sheila. They're thinking probably what everyone else is thinking that Rachel and Sheila have something to do with the disappearance of Skylar. So with on this, they want to bring Rachel and Sheila back for custody. They did this for some time, like over a period of time, they would bring Rachel and bring Sheila and bring Rachel and bring Sheila in, and they weren't really getting anywhere. But I, what I think is they just wanted to put pressure on these girls. They wanted to let them know that we're not just going to, you know, forget about her. We want to find out what happened to Skylar. We have some feeling you two have something to do with it. And we're going to keep bugging you until either you confess or we find out the truth on our own. Then a break came. Officer Colbin realized that the car in the security footage did in fact belong to Sheila Eddy. Authorities cross-referenced the footage from a nearby business of that night, and they found the same car that they picked up Skylar in near a convenience store of West City. I'm so sorry, of west of Star City. However, both Rachel and Sheila said that they went east on the night of the disappearance, which was in fact a lie. So now with that, them feeling like, okay, we have that footage of them, of that same car in another side of the town with Sheila there. Now let's start, I know I've said this, but let's put even more pressure on the girls. I think after so long, we all know, like, what's the expression, what what is it what come what is pulling the dark will come to light or something like that they, what is that the expression i don't know but yes basically saying you can't keep these types of things secrets go on and eventually certain secrets dark secrets they start to eat at you slowly and i think that really starts to mess with you mentally and on this is just an example so on December 28, 2012, a parent called in 911 and said this, quote, I have an issue with a 16-year-old daughter of mine. I cannot control her anymore. She's hitting us. She's screaming. She's running through the neighborhood, end quote. And during this phone call, they could hear in the background a young woman who seems to be screaming, give me the phone. No, no, no. This is over. This is over. The woman calling was Patricia Schultz, and the 16-year-old daughter she was referring to was Rachel. With that, Rachel had a very serious nervous breakdown and was admitted into the psychiatric hospital. Now, the investigators want to use this to their advantage. We know that the weaker of the two girls is Rachel, so they're hoping that with this, they can finally get some type of question, I'm so sorry, some type of confession out of Rachel. However, the investigators didn't realize how easy it would be. Shortly after her admission into the hospital and being requested by the authorities, Rachel just screamed out. We just stabbed her. And with that, she let it all out. Rachel said that her and Sheila planned Skylar's murder a month in advance, and that one day in science class, they both just agreed that maybe they should just kill her. 
On the night of her murder, Rachel grabbed a shovel from her father's house and Sheila took two knives from her mother's kitchen. They also grabbed cleaning supplies and a change of clothes. The girls told Skylar that they were just going to pick her up, drive around, and maybe smoke a little pot. Now, there was a report based off text messages that Skylar was a little hesitant at first, and I'm sure we can all understand why. For, you know, the past few months, Sheila and Rachel were excluding Skylar and everything, and she was hesitant when they asked her out. But I think like any teenage girl, we do want to keep our friends, especially with Sheila. She had been friends with her for so long, so I feel like Skylar maybe thought that this was, you know, a turning point for the group and that she would be included back in. They took her to a remote area where the trio had previously gone to smoke. So, of course, Skylar isn't, you know, nervous or what's the word I'm looking for? She's not too worried about the situation. This is, a, you know, a very remote spot that they've all been there to smoke before. So she's not thinking much of it. They parked and when Skylar turns to exit the car so they can smoke, Rachel and Sheila turn to each other, mouth on three, which is a prearranged signal, and begin stabbing Skylar repeatedly. Rachel even said that at one point during the attack, Skylar almost got away, but they stabbed her in the knee so she wouldn't be able to run. And with that, Skylar's fate was sealed. And after stabbing Skylar 55 times, the girls had stood over her, watching her die. And in Skylar's last moments, she could only whimper, why? At that point, the authorities asked her the same question, why? To which Rachel simply replied, we didn't like her. After the murder, they took their shovel, intending to dig a hole in which to bury Skylar. But they were unable to do so because the ground was so rocky. So instead, they grabbed Skylar's body, dragged it to a nearby tree, dumped dirt, debris, and leaves on her. And once it was done, they washed themselves off from the creek, disposed of their bloody clothes, and lied. They left Skylar's phone near her body, but didn't think much of it. They're not thinking they're going to get caught by this. And Rachel and Sheila went back home. They were home by dawn, and shortly after returning, Sheila repeated, Always keep your cool. With that confession in hand, it was agreed that Rachel would take them to the body immediately. And when Rachel took them, the ground was covered in snow, so she couldn't quite remember or pinpoint where the body was. So the investigators would just have to wait for the snow to melt to confirm Rachel's story. So we know what happened to Skylar. We know where the body is, so we have to wait for the snow to melt. But now it's time to try to get a confession out of Sheila. They both had the girls meet in Rachel's room, which they put surveillance equipment in to try to get to see if Rachel could, you know, get Sheila to talk about it, you know, get a confess, of all best things, get a confession, but she was unable to do so. So their only other choice was to try and gather as much physical evidence as they can against Sheila. So during the following months after Rachel's confession, Rachel was able to roam free. Which I know sounds a little crazy, but I truly do believe, I truly do believe that they wanted to take these girls down together. They committed this crime together, you're going to go down for this crime together. So on January 4th, investigators surprised Sheila and her family with a search warrant to obtain every single knife in their home, as well as everything they could find in Sheila's car. And they also found small traces of blood spatter in Sheila's purse, which of course they took samples of. And two weeks later, on January 16th, when you know the snow hasn't completely melted, but it's a little easier for investigators to navigate and see, they returned with um, with the canine unit back to the place where Rachel said that they had hit Skylar's body. And while one of the handlers um, was reaching down to pick up a GPS tracker that had fallen off one of the dogs, he noticed skeletal remains under a pile of dead bodies. 
So finally, after six months after she disappeared, Skylar was found. Finally, having Skylar's body, they matched her blood to the samples that were taken out of Sheila's trunk, which provided a match. And on May 1st, 2013, she was arrested in the parking lot of a Cracker Barrel. It was now time to charge both of these girls for their crime, and both of them were tried as adults. Sheila was tried for first-degree murder, pled guilty, and received a life sentence with the possibility of parole after 15 years. Rachel, on the other hand, pled guilty to second-degree murder and received a 30-year sentence because she cooperated in bringing Sheila to justice. Now, Skylar's father, David Meese, would later say that those two girls didn't deserve any leniency from the court, and they're both sickos and they should be treated exactly like what they are, and that is an animal. Following the murder of Skylar, the Meese family helped pass Skylar's law, which requires that if that state issues an Alamber alert, it's not just for abducted children, it is for all missing children. And even though that didn't, you know, that's not going to help Skylar, hopefully it'll help a lot more lives in the future. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this week's episode. Um, like I said, part two of our little killer friends segment is going to be out tomorrow. So just be sure to check that out. Um, and like I've said before, please, if there's, oh, actually I do. Okay. Hold on. I do have a favor to ask. So I am trying to get some like custom music for the show. And if you know anybody who does any of that type of stuff, please send them my way. Our website will soon be out too as well. And I can't wait to interact with you guys there. Um, there'll be a fun little, you know, message board where we can all talk to crime and give our theories on cases and, so on and so forth. So yeah, thanks so much guys. And I will see you tomorrow.